Your bulletin says we're reading Jonah chapter 3. We're actually going to be reading from Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. Listen now to God's word. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You that we can come worship You. And God, we declare that we believe in You. In Your death and resurrection, we believe that You are for us. And that You are with us here in these moments. Speak to us. Open Your Scripture. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So this verse, Jeremiah 29, specifically verse 11, uh, is one that I have felt specifically kind of connected to my whole life. You see, my name is Jeremy. The prophet's name is Jeremiah. And what happened was my older brother's name is David. My parents gave him this biblical name. And then when I was born, I think my dad kind of leaned towards the name Jeremiah, but my mom didn't really love it. She liked Jeremy, so of course she won out. But my dad still wanted to kind of have me connected to the prophet Jeremiah, and so he gave me a life verse at some point. And that was Jeremiah 29, 11. And so it was written on Bibles for me when I got Bibles growing up. Uh, and it was kind of always a verse that I was told uh, I had this strong connection to and felt like I had this strong connection to. Um, and, and Mike reminded me, there's actually, uh, I, don't, I think it's still there, out in our uh, gathering space, uh, this verse is on a, a kind of a piece of artwork out there. It's actually one of the first things I saw when I came here, which was kind of cool. But it's a verse that's meant a lot to me my whole life. Uh, my understanding of it has changed a lot over time, uh, but it's something that I've always felt connected to. It's a verse that we hear about often, actually. One of the most quoted scriptures in the entire Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11. It was very easy for me this morning to find a slide to, to fit in with the slides for the service. It didn't take a lot of searching. In fact, I did a Google search just of Jeremiah 29, 11 in Google Images, and go to the next slide for us. It was really easy to find. I know it's hard to see right now up there on the screen, but there was plenty of options. Some of them you could even buy and hang up in your house if you'd like to. Um, you can go back to the other one, Daniel. But this is a verse that is, is quoted all the time. It's a very hopeful message. It's an exciting message. God has a plan. Sometimes when our life feels like there's no purpose or meaning or it's not going anywhere, we want to hear this message, God has a plan for you. Right? In this verse, God is saying, I know the plans I have for you. We love to hear that. 
we attach to that idea. Oftentimes, when scriptures are quoted a lot, they're not quoted within their context. You know, I didn't do a Google search for it, but I doubt there are very many uh, memes or graphics that have been made or pieces of artwork to hang in church lobbies of Jeremiah 29, verse 10, the verse right before this. Let me read that for you. Verse 10 of Jeremiah 29 says, For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 70 years. We're going to dive into this context a little bit. My purpose for us this morning is to talk about and, and think about the context of that hopeful verse of Jeremiah 29, 11. Because as, as I began to understand its context, it carries a lot more meaning. When we think about the Bible as being written directly by God, directly to me, oftentimes we jump an entire interpretive process of thinking about who actually wrote it down. Who was it originally written for? What did it mean to them in their time and place in history? We have to understand all of those things before we really understand what God is saying in this passage. And it's only then that it really takes on its full meaning for us in 2019 in Georgetown, Kentucky. So let's look at this context a little bit of Jeremiah chapter 29. All of chapter 29 is a letter written by the prophet Jeremiah. And it's written to the Israelites, the Hebrew people, in exile. See, they had been warned by prophets over and over throughout the Old Testament that if they continued to be unfaithful to God, bad things would happen. That the bad guys would come and get them and carry them off. They were warned about this. And then it happened. The Assyrians and the Babylonians both waged separate sieges on the Israelite people and carried them off into exile. And so once this happens, the people are then left with a lot of questions. The ones left behind and the ones in exile. But I imagine their biggest question is, where is the hope for us in all of this? Like God chose us way back before we were slaves in Egypt through one man, Abram, and then he heard our cry in Egypt, and he brought us out of slavery. And then he delivered into our hands this land that we occupied for so long. And now that's gone. Where is this story going now? And I imagine their questions had a lot to do with where is the hope for us, for our story, and where it's headed. In chapter 29... Somebody gave them a sense of hope. Somebody gave them an answer to their question. There's a man named Hananiah. And Hananiah said that God had given him a message. And the message was that he has already broken the yoke of the king of Babylon, or the rule of the king of Babylon, 
and that the Israelite people would be able to come home within two years. That this exile would not be a long exile. That they're going to be free and they're going to come back and everything's going to be just fine. That was Hananiah's message. So I would imagine that Hananiah quickly became a popular guy because that was a message the Israelites wanted to hear. The problem is Jeremiah, the prophet of God, had received a different message from God. And so Jeremiah was sent to challenge Hananiah. And chapter 28 tells about these interactions where Jeremiah says, that sounds great, two years, that's not very long, may it be so, but I don't think that's what God is saying. God tells Jeremiah to challenge the prophet Hananiah and to say, it's going to be much longer than that. Hananiah then doubles down to his two years, and the prophet Jeremiah says, all right, I warned you, because of this lie that you're telling our people, you're going to die. Pretty extreme. If you look at, if you have your Bibles open, the very last sentence of chapter 28 is pretty simple and frank and to the point. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. He's done. He's over. No more lies from the prophet Hananiah. So then again, the people are thinking, where is the hope in our story? And Jeremiah is left with this really difficult task of being a prophet to the people of God when things were bleak. And so Jeremiah writes a letter. And in the letter, he has to deliver what to them would be some bad news. And that is that this exile is going to be much longer than Hananiah had said. It's going to, in fact, be 70 years, which is a long time for us now. It was a long time to them then, especially when the lifespan was much shorter than it is now. So essentially what this letter is telling the exiles is, the rest of your life is going to be lived in Babylon. Hunker down, make a home for yourself. The letter even says to take wives and husbands and have children, work for the welfare of the city that you are captives in. That's a hard message to hear. But it's within that context then that we get Jeremiah 29, 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. There's a few things that need to be said about this verse specifically. We just prayed for our educators. Do we have any English teachers here this morning or retired English teachers? People hesitant to raise their hand. We've got one. Any writers? There we go. We've got a wave in the back. Yeah. Pronouns are important, right? There's some pronouns in this verse that we need to pay attention to for a minute. The first one is I. God says, I know the plans I have for you. In the Hebrew language, there's different ways to say the word in English, I. Most of the time, it was just a different form of the verb. So the word for know just takes a different form when it needs to be, mean I know. 
takes a different form if it was going to mean you know, or we know, or they know. And so the Hebrew word in this verse has the form I know. But it's strange because it also has a standalone pronoun of I. So it's repeated. So in English, it would come across something like I, I know the plans. It's, there's an emphasis on who knows. Essentially, when I say it like that, what it says is, I know something that you don't know. You don't know these plans. So when God says, I, I know the plans I have for you. He's saying, don't worry. I know that you don't know the plans. You don't need to know the plans. Just take comfort in knowing that I know the plans I have. And so God is, is, is saying that he is aware of this plan that he has for the Israelites. The other pronoun that we need to pay attention to in this verse is the word you. Right? Now there's a failure in the English language that a lot of you I'm sure are aware of or have heard preachers or other people talk about. And that is that three letter word you can be singular or plural. I could talk to you. Or I can talk to you. Now, in Kentucky, we have ways of dealing with this. In other places in the South, we, we made up our own word. Uh, and the, the word you here in Jeremiah 29 11 is plural. So in Kentuckian, it is I, I know the plans I have for all y'all. <laughs> this is not simply a letter from Jeremiah to an individual. See, we have a problem as, as, as uh, readers in 2019 is that we think very individualistically. The way we think often has to do with the individual. The way we read Bi the Bible, a lot of the times, has in mind the individual. This letter is written to a collective. It's written to a group of people. And the message from God is that he has a plan for his people as a whole. Now, don't hear me saying that God doesn't have plans for your life individually. What I do want to wreck a little bit is the notion that that's what this verse is about. This verse is a message of hope to a group that together was suffering, that together lacked any vision of hope for their future. And so God looks at their situation, says it's going to last, but don't worry, because I do have a plan. As we move into verses 12 through 14, I want you to notice all of the actions. And notice who is doing the actions. Is it God or is it the people? Starting in verse 12. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me. So there's an action of the people. When you call on me and when you pray to me. Then when you, I, I will hear you. So God's action is listening. Verse 13. When you search for me, you will find me 
if you seek me with all your heart. Then verse 14, there's a little caveat to that. I will let you find me. When I read that, I thought about the game of hide-and-seek. And when you're playing hide-and-seek with kids, it would be pretty possible, am I right, parents, for you to hide and not be found for a long time. Sometimes you may want to do that, actually. But oftentimes, the way you hide is so that you can be found intentionally. God wants to be found. When I play hide-and-seek with my daughter, I want her to find me. The game is no longer fun for her if she doesn't. I'm not suggesting this is the exact same thing. God is not playing games with the Israelites. But what he is saying is, if you seek for me with all of your heart, Jesus also said these words, you will be found, I will be found by you. Seek and you will find. Verse 14, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, if you're one of those people that really likes when the Bible talks about years and numbers and wants to figure out, like, do the calculations and see how it all works together, that's a little difficult here. There's not a clear start time, and there's not a clear end time to the exile. There was an edict that freed the Jews. There's the time when they actually made it back. There's the time when the temple was rebuilt. There's a different time when the wall was rebuilt. There's different starting points. Are you starting with the um, Assyrian invasion, the Babylonian invasion? It's difficult. The timeline is roughly 70 years. Other people interpreting those 70 years would point out that within Scripture and in other writings from this time period, the language of 70 years usually meant a, a period of judgment from a god or gods. This is clearly a time when the Israelites were going through judgment. But 70 years is a long time. And the exile was no walk in the park for the Israelites. If you've read Daniel, then you have seen some of the suffering of the Israelites. If you've read Nehemiah and Ezra, you know how hard it was after the, after the exile to begin rebuilding. And if we're honest about it, the nation of Israel never recovered to its former glory from the exile. It was difficult. And so this message from Jeremiah that the exile is not only going to be two years is a hard one. He's saying you're going to go through a pretty intense time of suffering. And so I ask you, are you going through anything that's bringing about suffering in your life? The message that I wish I could stand here and give you is similar to what Hananiah said. Don't worry, it's going to end soon and it's all going to be fine and go back to the way it was. But I can't do that. That's not the biblical witness. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for a long time before God rescued them. And even when he did, he didn't take them around the dangerous waters. He took them through the Red Sea. 
The psalmists write about God bringing them through the waters to remind them that their path was difficult. And I'm sure that there are people here this morning who have had a difficult path or are on a difficult path right now. Perhaps you're going to a job tomorrow that you wish you didn't have to go to. Or perhaps you're looking for a job and just can't find one. Or maybe you're starting school on Wednesday and just wish you didn't have to go back. The message that the Bible tells us is not that suffering is just going to end like that. But it's a promise that was true for God's people back in the time of the exile and is true for us now. That even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hardships, we can trust that God has a plan for the future. The really cool part about reading this in 2019 is that we know a lot more about that plan than the original hearers of this letter knew. And actually, a lot of this hope is not merely future, but has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. The book of Jeremiah also foreshadows a new covenant to come. And we get to experience that. And knowing Jesus does not mean that the suffering ends. It does not mean that life just gets easy. But it does mean we get to trust in a promise. I'm going to invite Shane and the band to come back up here, and they're going to sing another song. Uh, and as they do, I just want us to reflect on this promise that comes in the midst of suffering, in the midst of intense hardship, this exile. With that context in mind, I want you to hear one more time verse 11 from Jeremiah chapter 29. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Amen.